First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's look here in the Word of God. Read a few scriptures here. As we are taking a walk through uh, the, 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 the Thessalonians, um, I don't know how long this will take. We'll, we'll kind of go context by context, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. There's five chapters in the book of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. We're talking about the theme of being set. And I felt led to really focus on these two epistles because they do probably proportion per capita have the most, um, that most emphasis on the rapture and what's to come. And uh, chapter one was kind of an introductory chapter. We spent some time on that and actually fittingly ended it talking about uh, the Lord's Supper last week and the living and true God, how God raised his son from the dead. But look with me in verse one now. I want you to focus on the word entrance in this verse here. Look at this. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance. Now we know specifically who this hour is. Back up to verse one, Paul, Savannah, Timotheus, right? Who is Savannah again? Cassie won 20 bucks for guessing it right a few weeks ago. It's Silas, right? And so we have Paul, Silas, Paul, Savannah, and Timotheus. It says, for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, okay? What that means is, it means, well, really, it means what it means, but it means they're, they're appearing to them, they're, they're, they're first meeting. He, he's, he's reminding them of how we came to you, and, of course, we came from Philippi. We've already established that a few weeks ago. It says that it was not in vain. There's a purpose to it. That's a blessing. But even after that, watch this now. We had suffered before and were shamefully entreated. As you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor of ignoring guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which try their hearts. For neither at any time you used to be flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness, nor of men saw we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only. Watch this statement, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Now, let's, let's take some of the things he says in this context here, and, and let's, let's fast forward to 2024, and let's, let's think about how we have a, a job. We have a, a task before us. Now, we understand that Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus's his, uh, work was a little different. They were entering unknown. They were charting unknown territory. They were going into areas where they had never heard the gospel, and, and we, have, we are dealing with a generation in many cases, that has heard a gospel. But here's the deal. I would venture to say that we have the blessing now of ignorance being on our side. Because I feel like the gospel has been so watered down that there's a mass confusion of what the gospel really is. We know what the gospel is. The gospel is taught to us clearly in the Bible as, it, by definition, good news. And specifically in the Bible, the good news of what? The death, burial, and resurrection. But don't forget that fourth part. We a lot of times forget that fourth part, which is so important. According to the what? Scriptures, that's right. So it's the death, burial, and resurrection according to the scriptures. That's the completion of the gospel. And that's what Paul is doing. Paul is bringing the gospel to them. Now, listen very carefully, all right? As we look at our task, our job here, but even after that, we had suffered before. We were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, all right? So let me ask you this. Have we suffered in our presentation of the gospel in 2024 right now? Have we suffered? Has anybody suffered? I'm talking about... Us, right here in America, Christians, let's say right here in the state of Missouri, right here in Jeff City. Have we suffered? Hmm? No. 
have we been shamefully entreated? Now, that's a pretty strong word. Yeah, yeah, maybe someone at work gave you a little difficult time or something, but shamefully entreated means to, look, it's, we, for some reason today, Christians in America think that any opposition must mean that God's not blessing anything anymore, but yet we are so foreign from the epistles and reading the Gospels that we don't even recognize an enemy that is always at battle with us. So here's what Paul's saying here. Paul is telling them, look, we, we've had to face this, and yet we're here. We saw this at Philippi, and yet we're here. Okay, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, all right? So then he says, as you know at Philippi, so then he makes this statement. We were, next word, bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much what? Contention. I don't remember the last time I had contention when I preached anywhere. I don't remember the last time I really felt like I had to be bold. Maybe there's certain subjects because people are so, so sensitive today, right? Oh, my goodness. People are so easily offended nowadays. It's, it's almost laughable. It's amazing how easily offended Christians are nowadays compared to, was, compared to 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, right? However, we really have it pretty made. Now, I knew I was going to teach on this and study on this. I've been thinking about that word entrance for a while, and so I've been observing social media since Sunday, and since Sunday, all I've heard people talk about a lot of times on social media, and I know everybody's going to have different venues, and since I typically look at political and religious things, this is going to be more of what I see. Those of you that maybe like cooking might see good cooking things, although I saw a good cooking thing, and my wife tried it tonight for our Valentine's meal. How many like burgers? All right, listen to this, man. My wife's a genius, man. Instead of a bun, make the, each side of the bun an onion instead of a, the bread. It was an onion burger. So, like, I was literally holding an onion with a burger in it. Fantastic. And maybe my breath smells like onions tonight, but it was amazing. My wife, I mean, what is that? It was a cooked onion, so that took away the odor a little bit. That's why y'all, none of y'all are, Brother Rick, did you smell me up here at all? No, not, not really, did you say? Purple, I don't know, it was a white onion tonight. But anyway, but, yeah, they're strong, they're strong. But it was cooked onion, so that was fantastic. How many of you would try that? How many of you try that? All right, how many of you think that's just disgusting? You would not like that, all right? My wife has the recipe. Just hit her up. She'll get, get it to you, okay? $5 a recipe, $5 a pop, all right? Um, but, but I have observed, here's what people have talked about. They've talked about, this is what I've heard since Sunday like crazy, about this, all the satanic stuff that was on display at the Super Bowl Sunday night. That's one thing I've heard. How the NFL is rigged, right? And that's, so I've just heard, oops, so I've heard all that crazy stuff. And, and I'm thinking to myself, boy, we are so free in America that we can talk about anything we want on social media. And yeah, you might get some hate, but you, you don't even have to be bold in America to be stupid. You can voluntarily be as stupid as you want on social media. You can tell the whole world you're an idiot, and people will like it and watch it. I mean, it's amazing how the idiots actually have millions of views sometimes, and the same people can't even get five people to look at their stuff, right? We live in a very strange world. Very strange world. It's, it's, it's interesting in which we're living now, all right? Now, I'm getting somewhere with this, okay? So let's, let's go ahead and journey down here again. Look at verse number three. There was an exhortation that Paul was giving to him, not of deceit. That's a powerful statement because a lot of times when people say nice things about you, it's because they want something from you. It says there's not uncleanness. There was, they were not in guile. It says we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Boy, isn't that a blessing to think that God has entrusted us with the gospel. So the challenge tonight is, is simply this. Where is our entrance at? Where is my personal entrance at? As Christians, there should always be some kind of an entrance. 
It may be at work. It may be at school for those of you. It may be in your neighborhood. It may be, it could be anywhere, really. I mean, it could be a place of business. It could be a store you frequent. It could be a coffee shop you go to. It could be wherever it is. But there's an entrance. There's an established relationship you have with somebody as you continue to try to present to them the gospel. Because the fact of the matter is it almost seems like if there was shameful treatment, if there was um, uh, suffering, that the gospel would spread even better. So the devil's got it even got us even in a, in a unique state today that, that we are so blessed that we become spoiled. We become entitled. We become so bored. Boy, God, I even hate saying this statement, but it's a true fact. We've become so bored with the gospel today that it no longer stirs us like it used to. So let me ask you a question. Has the gospel changed from Paul, Silvanus, Timotheus, in Philippi, or Thessalonica, to us today, has the gospel changed? No, it has not. Does that mean, since the gospel has not changed, that we have to be the way we are in America? And again, I'm not picking on anybody here. I'm stating an observation. I think anybody here on this Wednesday night crowd would agree with me that, I mean, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have transportation, they didn't have cars, airplanes, trains, they didn't have any of that. And yet they got the gospel to the whole known world we have all of these venues, and we really aren't doing a good job. We really aren't. Let's just be honest about that, right? So, now what are you saying, preacher? Here's what I'm saying. If the gospel has not changed, then what, what can we do? What can we learn from this context? How can we be challenged to be bold in our presentation of the gospel, even though we're not being shamefully entreated and not, being, not suffering as they did 2,000 years ago? All right, well, that leads to this statement. All right, number one, the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel. All right, so Paul had a purpose. Now, Paul is stating in this context here, you will understand my purpose, and I have proven to you my purpose by my testimony. All right, so those are the two words I want you to get out of the context here of these eight verses. Paul says, I have a testimony that I'm giving to you. Paul, Silvanus, Timotheus, and I, we were suffering, we were shamefully entreated in Philippi, yet we did not let it deter us from coming to Thessalonica. Because just as we think that the Philippians, the people of Philippi, need the gospel, we believe the people of Thessalonica need the gospel as well. Because God is not a respecter of persons. And Paul, who's a Jew, Timotheus, who is half Jew, half Gentile, Paul and Timotheus are taking a Jewish gospel now to a Gentile city. And Paul is saying, listen, we have a purpose of getting this to you, and here is my testimony. Here is my track record. God has blessed us to do this. God has entrusted us to do this. God has called us to do this. God has given us the exhortation to do this. God has told us to come and make you our necessary burden. God has motivated us God has guided us, and in spite of the suffering, in spite of the, of, the, of, the, of the shameful entreatment, in spite of all those things, whether we must be bold or not be bold, nothing will deter us from bringing the gospel to you just like we brought it to Philippi. He was consistent. He had that testimony throughout all his journeys. There were some cities where Paul came to, and they thought he was the man. There were some cities he came to, and they wanted to kill him. And yet everywhere Paul went, he did not let external circumstances dictate to him how he was going to respond with what he possessed and had to share, but rather the purpose. 
purpose of the gospel. So what is the purpose? What is the same purpose 2,000 years later regarding no matter what it is? It doesn't matter what society is like. It doesn't matter how wicked it is. It doesn't matter how little persecution or how much persecution we have. What, what is, what is going to drive the gospel? What is going to compel us? What is going to stir us to get the gospel to one more person? What is going to make us say, you know what? I don't care what people think of me. It, this must be proclaimed. All right, you ready for this? Here it is. It's Valentine's Day. It is the power of love. Love. The biggest difference between Paul and Christianity back then and the Christianity of today is this. I love you, but I need to say this because it's convicting to me. Back then, Christians loved sinners more than they loved themselves. Today, Christians love themselves more than they love sinners. That's really what it boils down to. We still have the power of love. However, we have become lovers of self. Paul addresses that in 1 Timothy. He tells, I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy. He tells said Timothy, men shall be lovers of themselves. They'll also be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. The obsession with sports today. I'm not, I'm not against it. You, know, you all know your pastor loves sports. There's a difference between loving and enjoying sports and being like literally obsessed with it. You realize that every single day, grown men get paid millions of dollars to sit around and talk about sports all day long. I mean, we live in a very strange generation where, I mean, sports was all, Brother Sam's, I mean, my dad used to tell me sports was pretty popular back then, but it, well, there wasn't a, the same obsession that we have today with it. I mean, people are just obsessed with sports, consumed with sports, live and breathe, and I mean, everything's about sports, right? Because we have been, we have, we ha all have the same capability to love, however, we're channeling the love in the wrong direction, the wrong purposes. There's nothing wrong with saying, I love my ball team. I love, I love a burger. I, I love that onion burger tonight. That was amazing. That was fantastic. Did I already mention that? Did I tell you my wife made an amazing burger tonight? But, but the challenge tonight is this. How much do we love sinners? Do we love sinners? All right, here's another simple question. I'm almost through. Does Jesus love sinners? Of course he does. I mean, that's a very simple question. Does he love saved people? Yes. Well, guess what? Saved people are saved sinners. <laughs> I'm still a sinner. I'm just as much a sinner or have the potential to sin as I did before I got saved. Right? We're all sinners, right? Does Jesus love sinners? We're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to love sinners. You see, the testimony is going to be in direct correlation to the purpose. And the purpose then will feed the testimony. You see, Paul earned the right to preach the gospel everywhere he went because people said about him, this man has endured prisons, he has endured hardships, he has endured abuse, he has endured suffering, he's had to be bold, he's had to risk his life. Why? So he could get the gospel to you, right? I, when I, and, and I say this just by way of sharing it, what I hear on the road, when I get introduced to preach many places, it's, it's funny. Some of my friends, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be silly and say silly things like that, but my favorite thing to hear is, Brother Randy's going to come preach you right now. And this man loves teenagers. I love hearing that statement because the statement is true. I love teenagers. And I feel like the teenagers sense that. I love this church and I hope that you feel it. When I preach on Sunday morning, Sunday Wednesday night, there should be a knowledge that that man loves somebody in this building today. That's the way he's supposed to be. A pastor, when he preaches, when, a, when brother, brother Roy and the prison ministry go in, why would they go in? They have the testimony of, of sacrificing many evenings away from their family in the comforts of their home. To go in, why? The purpose, they love those men. 
They love the children that they never even met that belong to those men and the moms and the sisters and the girlfriends and the wives and so on. So they're trying to make a difference in those men's lives. So the challenge tonight that we can learn from this is the purpose and the correlation between purpose and testimony. We should have such a strong testimony that the church is gospel-minded and they want the gospel to get out to the sinners. But the driving factor of that is not money. It's not so that our church can be full and big and grow, although that's great. It's not so that we can say we have big numbers today. It's not so that we can have big offerings. It's because we want everybody out there to know that this church loves you and sincerely wants you to know the gospel just as I know the gospel. Do you know the gospel tonight, my friend? Online, do you know the gospel? Tonight, I'm talking to all of you in this building tonight. Do we know the gospel? Isn't it such a blessing to know the gospel? Aren't you glad that you have the gospel tonight, that you possess the gospel? I'm so thankful that I possess the gospel. But in the possession of the gospel, there must be a proper balance of acknowledging the necessity of getting the gospel to somebody else. And my determination and boldness and drive to get the gospel to somebody else will oftentimes be in direct proportion to my love or lack thereof for the lost world. Paul said, you've seen us, you've heard about us, you know we've suffered, you know we've had to be bold, you know that he gives him this list. And then he finally closes with this, and I'll close with this. Look at verse number six. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when he might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately, that's a loving phrase, desirous of you, we desired you. We were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. Wow. What if somebody said, man, I feel like you love me with your own soul. What is it that you had to teach me and guide me into? I want what you have. What a powerful statement there. So we preach a lot about testimony, but testimony and purpose actually go together. People will understand my purpose better when they see the testimony that I have laid out. In other words, a track record. But then people will also see the consistency of that te testimony, and then they'll be willing to receive what I have to offer them because they say, aha, this man, this woman, this family, they, they actually care. They love me. What a blessing. Let's see that balance and learn from that tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you for listening so well tonight. <coughs> our heads are bad and our eyes are closed. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity we had to be challenged by the Christians of old. That boldness and that, and that stand that they took and, and their suffering and, and what they did for the cause of Christ 2,000 years ago is the reason why the kids next door are learning the truth of the gospel. Kids for truth. They're learning the truth because of that consistency. And Lord, tonight I ask you to teach us from thy word. Challenge us by your Holy Spirit that we might take self-inventory and say, okay, okay, Lord, man, I, I need to work on this. And I've been guilty of loving myself too much, Lord. May I love you and love others. May I put you first and then love. You said it. We're supposed to love you first and then love the neighbor. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a difference makers. Help us to take the gospel to this, this world in these last days. And Lord, may we be Christians that that have a testimony that, that properly is balanced by the purpose in Jesus' name.
Bye. 